0: All right. Well, thank you for uh, thanks for doing that. And if you could uh, find your seat, that would be great. So uh, my plan this uh, this evening is to uh, we bought some snacks, so we'll have some snacks. And uh, I will, to be honest with you, be in bed before the game's over. Uh, sorry. Yeah, I don't have that much interest. I'll be flipping channels, and uh, and then. Watch a few commercials, I guess, right? Because that's a big deal, and then I'll be, and then I'll be done. So, uh, so recently, uh, I received some training uh, last month uh, to be a uh, police officer chaplain, and it's not that big a deal, uh, except that it's a volunteer position where some other uh, pastors on our staff. Uh, chose to start this new program at our local police department and we'll work alongside the police officers in doing some different things that are involved with that. And I only share that with you because while we're there for the training, uh, the the person leading the training talked about the difference, the different roles that we play as a pastor versus a chaplain, that when I'm at, when I have, and he had two hats, and one hat had pastor on it, and one had chaplain on it, and he would go back and forth and talk about there are times that you play the role of pastor, and there are other times when you're volunteering for the police department where you'll be playing the role of chaplain. And it was interesting uh, as he was going through this, but as he was talking, I began thinking about the other roles and other labels, and I kind of went through that. Well, I'd have a lot of hats because I wear a lot of different hats. There are times like when When I'm here at this campus, I identify myself as the campus pastor. When I'm at the Voorhees campus and I am doing the hosting or I'm preaching there, I will introduce myself as the associate pastor. Same person, two different labels uh, to identify myself. Uh, Sometimes I'm Mr. Court. Uh, That's when I'm at the doctor's office, right? Uh, Or when I am on the phone with Verizon, I'm Mr. Court, right? Uh, Other times, I'm Pastor Court, and uh, there are times that I'm also Rick. People who know me uh, will call me Rick. There are people who also call me Ricky, and if you call me Ricky, that's another label I have, and that means that you've known me for a long time because I was Ricky in my teens. There are some people that call me Dad. Very few of you. Uh, (laughs) uh, Matter of fact, only one of you in this room right now. Can call me that. But all of those labels still make me the same person. But those labels are important. And you have labels, as many labels as I've just identified for myself. And each of these labels has meaning to it because the label identifies the relationship and the status. So I am a parent, I'm a husband, I'm a friend, I'm a pastor. Sometimes I'm a patient. Sometimes I'm a customer. So the label is important because it identifies the status that we have or the relationship that we have with another person. Now, labels define and labels are important and labels help to determine this status and they determine your role. And so, like I said, some people call me pastor and some people call me dad. It doesn't change who I am. It just identifies that the relationship is different. Now labels can also, depending on the label, can be harmful as well. So there are good and bad labels and there are true and false labels. And so there are times where we've been identified with a label and that label is a bad way for us to identify with who we are. So some examples of labels that we might have that I would suggest are not necessarily good labels. Some people want to have a label based on the size of their house, right? You may have met people like that, right? I live in, and they name the development or the town that they live in because that label is important to who they are, and they believe there's a status attached to that. Or they, the label is by the size of their bank account or by the number of stamps on their passport. These are all kind of superficial labels, but yet we all know that there are people who may not intentionally use them, but yet they do use those kinds of labels, right? There are other labels too. Uh, clothing brands types of cars, that the type of car that you drive. Matter of fact, this evening, millions and millions of dollars are going to be spent on commercials that are going to tell you that if you buy this car or this clothing brand, you will have another label that people will identify you by, that you'll have a status attached to that label, right? Other labels that people have or can have are skin color, weight, height, hairstyle. Did you know that John Travolta this week shaved his head bald? That's a big deal for me. It's the first thing John Travolta and I have in common. I'm like pumped about it. He's got a beard and and he he bicked his head and I'm like, I might have to do this, all right? Because then we'll be even more alike, me and John Travolta. Uh, Another label that people have is how many follows they have, right? That's our 21st century way of labeling. And then also, sadly, people can be labeled by the messes or the mistakes from their past. And so there are labels that can be good, and there can be labels that can be bad. And if we are using labels to define who we are, it's likely that some of those labels can make us unhappy, and some of them... Based on uh, where that label originated can bring joy to us as well, so labels have a purpose and an intention, and so the reason i 'm sharing all that with you is we 're in this series where we 're talking about a uh, uh, loving God and loving people and uh, this is the third week in the series, and we talked about that God is love and that we're called to love God. And that, uh, and then last week, we talked about that we're to love others. But then there's this interesting thing that Jesus does in there when he's talking about loving God and loving people. Is he says we should love others in the same way that we love ourselves. And so this week, we want to talk about what does it mean to love ourselves and how can we do that in a healthy good and right way. So how do we love ourselves? If done improperly, we can become arrogant and prideful or we can become insecure or we can develop poor self-esteem. So there are good ways and bad ways for us to learn to love ourselves. So we're going to kind of go on a little bit of a journey. Sometimes, you know, I stick to one story and we kind of follow it all the way through. But this morning, we're going to look, we're going to start in an Old Testament passage. Well, actually, we're going to start before that. I'm going to share something from the New Testament. Then we're going to the Old Testament. Then we're going to go back to the New Testament. We're going to be all over the place, but I promise it all makes sense. All right. I'm going to ask you to remember something each time. We're going to put it all together at the end. Everyone on board? Terrific. Of course, if you said no, we were doing it anyway, but that's okay. All right, so there was a label that the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul wrote about 11 letters to the church in the first century. And in those 11 letters, he had one label that he used most often when talking about the church. It was what I would suggest is a favorite label. And so if he were writing a letter to this church, to this group of people gathered in Mount Laurel, he would say to the saints, Worshiping in hope at Mount Laurel. He would write a letter and he would label us as saints. He did this six different times in six different letters. When he was writing to the churches, he called the people gathered in the churches saints. Now, these letters that he was writing were addressing behaviors that the church needed to correct. Sometimes it was systemic behavior. Sometimes it was about individuals within the church. And these letters all had to do with theology or relationships or had spiritual uh, significance to them. And in each of those letters, he called the people, gathered sitting in the seats, gathered around working in community together. He called the people, he identified them and labeled them as saints. Now, the word, Saint is is a, a Greek word. The Greek word for saint is hagios. Now that's just a cool word to say, so you're gonna like that, all right? If you're gonna go home you're gonna say, Hey, I learned a new word. It's hagios. Ready? Practice. One, two, th- all right, Hold on, I'll, I'll count when practice one, two, three. Hagios. Excellent, excellent. All right, it's the word for saint. Now, hagios is an important word because it doesn't mean someone's character. It is connected to someone's state of being. It's a label identifying a position or status. And so Paul was writing this letter, writing these letters to different people gathered in different churches, and he was calling them saints. He was saying, this is a label for you guys. You guys are saints. There's a status for you. Now, hold on to that. And now the other thing you have to know about letters that Paul wrote is that Paul never, Nowhere in the Bible, in the New Testament, nowhere will you find when a gathering of church people were together and a letter was written, nowhere does anyone, Paul or John or anyone else who wrote letters in the New Testament, ever call the church, the sinners gathered at Hope and Mount Laurel. It doesn't exist. And you laugh about that because it said, what a way to start a letter, right? But there's no place where collectively the church, the people of God, are called sinners. And while it can't be found as a label in the New Testament, that word has become connected to people who gather in the church together. And sometimes in meaningful ways, people will say, in very humble ways, they'll say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner. I'm just someone who has sinned and God loves me. And while that is a true and humble statement, I would suggest that Paul is sending a message to those gathered in those first century churches and to all of us gathered here in Mount Laurel this morning to think of ourselves with our new nature, not our old nature, to embrace this label. See, because if we view ourselves as saints, then we begin to see our mistakes and our sins in a whole different light. And we can begin to understand how we can love ourselves in the way that God would want us to love ourselves. See, we're saints who sometimes sin, not sinners who sometimes get it right. That's a significant way to think about this. All right, so hold on to that. Now we're going to go on a brief journey to the Old Testament, then we're going to come back to the New Testament, and we're going to connect this idea of sainthood all together, okay? So in the Old Testament, there's a book of the Bible called Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah, there's an object lesson. And I love when there's object lessons because I believe that those object lessons have significance, and there's a reason why... God put that in the Bible that way because there's a message that is so important that God wanted us to understand it and God wanted Jeremiah to understand it. So it's going to be up on the screen. We're going to read through it. It says this It says, The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, Go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. And I'm Meredith, leave right there for a second. So God wants Jeremiah to experience an object lesson. And he says to Jeremiah, I got something I got to tell you, but I can't tell you right here in your living room. I need to tell you when you're in the potter's shop. So I want you to go to this potter's shop. Has anyone ever watched a, uh, a uh, potter spin? or it, it, and, and What's it called? It's not... A potter's wheel, but what do they do when they're doing it? There's a word for it. Throwing, throwing yes, thank you. Who said that? That was great. They're throwing pottery, right? It doesn't sound sounds violent. All right, but they're, and so, so here's what I wanted to do. I thought about just having a video of like, a, of like the potter's wheel just spinning, and I showed it, I had it in my office. <laughs> but it was so soothing and so comfortable that i afraid we'd all fall asleep. So I didn't want to do that, all right? But it's just this really neat experience to watch this wheel spinning and watch the way. You go home and YouTube it, all right? There's like 30 minutes of this, all right? And and, and people, and, and you just watch the clay being worked. Now, for some reason, we're gonna see God wants Jeremiah to go there and experience this. He wants Jeremiah to see it and feel it And smell it and hear it. He wants him to have all the senses involved in this lesson that he's about to teach. So Jeremiah goes to the potter's shop, and there is the potter throwing pottery on a wheel and it's spinning and doing his thing. And then the next verse. So I did as he told me, and I found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. So Jeremiah shows up and there's this potter and the wheel is spinning. He's working and he's making it into, uh, into uh, whatever it is, a jar that he's, being, that he's making. And as he makes it, it starts to get a little crooked, a little wobbly. It doesn't come out the way that the potter wanted. And so the potter collapses it. Now, what is, in its basic essence, what is clay? It's dirt and what else? Dirt and water, right? Yeah, pretty simple, right? It's dirt and water. That's pretty much what clay is made of. So as I was reading the scripture, I was reminded of Genesis chapter 2, and I mentioned this in Christmas Eve message just ever so briefly. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says that God formed humanity from the ground, that God was forming almost like throwing on a a clay on a wheel, and he formed out of the ground, out of dirt. And so Jeremiah tells us that the potter didn't like the direction it was going and so he pushed it down and started over. And so I noticed that he used the same material. But the next Jar was made with the same clay that was used before, and the potter has all of the control and helps to discern the outcome. And then, verse 5 and then, here's the lesson. Then the Lord gave me this message. O Israel, I cannot do to, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. So the message from Jeremiah, the reason uh, that, that God wanted Jeremiah to go and experience and see and smell all the sights and the smells that would be in the potter's shop is that we are in God's hands, that we are clay in God's hands. This is an important message for each one of us this morning. So now I want you to remember the potter. All right, so we have saint. We've got this story about the potter. Now we have to go to the New Testament, all right? now we're going to go to the book of Ephesians, and we're going to do a whole study on Ephesians later on this year. But I want to just mention this one verse in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, if Paul were writing Ephesians in the 21st century, When he had gotten the chapter 2, he would have used, it doesn't exist in Greek, but if it did, he would use it in the 21st century, he would use the word zombie. (laughs) And I would like to believe that when he was talking in in Ephesians chapter 2, that he would have used a reference to the walking dead. I have this zombie thing. I kind of like zombies. I think this, I watch zombie movies, I watch i i world war z if it's on flipping channels world war z is on i'm watching it all right because those are fast zombies and that really freaks me out all right uh we have we have a plan my family that if there's a zombie apocalypse we're going to a walmart just so you know if you want to meet me i will be at the walmart and we decided we're not going to the walmart in in berlin new jersey which is near my house it's the closest one we're going to the Walmart that's in Franklinville, Williamstown area. Can we figure there's less people that would head that direction, all right? I have this whole plan for my family during a zombie apocalypse, all right? And the reason we pick a Walmart is because it's got everything you need, right? Like other people think if there's a zombie apocalypse, they're going shopping during this urgent urgent I have no time for shopping. I'm going right to Walmart and I'm just gonna hole up in the Walmart. There's food, there's sleeping bags, there's tents, there's water. Everything you need. All right, sorry, I digress. So if Paul were writing Ephesians, in chapter two, he would talk about zombies. Now, some things I know about zombies, they have no feeling, they seem alive because they're walking, but they're dead. They're driven, they're insatiable. They are without pleasure in life. They're barely conscious. They have this appearance of life But they're not really living. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes to the saints of Ephesus. And it's up on the screen and we're going to leave it there for a few minutes. He says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. A couple things we're going to pull out from this, this, this one sentence. For, we are God's masterpiece. Now, the word for is a connecting word. One of the things I learned early on when I was studying the Bible is whenever there's a for there, a for is often or therefore, it's a connecting word. And so I always learned that if there's a therefore there, you figure out what the therefore is there for. And it was an easy way for you to remember this. Well, the word for falls into the same category. It's a connecting word. So that means that everything Paul says after the word for is connected to what he said before the word for. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, when you see for, we are God's masterpiece, we need to go figure out, well, what does that have to do with the stuff he said before? Well, I already told you some of that. What he said before in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, he starts out saying that you're all dead. You're zombies. Before Christ, you were zombies. You were walking around as if you were really living, but you really weren't living. You had no pleasure. You were insatiable. You just existed. And then about verse 4, he says, but then we have this new life found in Christ. And this new life in Christ has brought you alive. You're no longer zombies without anything worth living for, without any real life in you. Now you are alive in Christ. And then he says, because all that has happened, he says, for we are God's masterpiece. Because Jesus gave us life. And he says, he has created us anew. Now the word created there is a word that's in the New Testament and it's only used for God. Creating is done by God. Remember what Jeremiah experienced? What was happening? The potter was doing what? He was throwing clay. He was creating something, right? And it was a reminder for me, it was a reminder back to Genesis where God creates Humanity, and so here is this word that is only used in the New Testament for creating, and he says, "For we are God's masterpiece; God has created us anew in Christ Jesus." And so, a couple of things I thought of that I want us to remember for this, and I stole these from Billy Graham. If you're going to steal from somebody, steal from Billy Graham. All right, it's always a good deal. All right, so Billy Graham, I think, may be the first one to said these things, but he said this: He said, "We are." Made, all right? So if you're going to remember a few things today, remember this, we are made, all right? It's very clear that based on what I've just talked about with the potter and the clay from Jeremiah and from Genesis chapter two, verses seven, that God has formed us and made us. So God put your personality together. God put who you are together. And though there are external forces that may steer and direct that, we believe that God has put us, that you are made by God. And then the second thing is that we are marred is that every one of us is marred. That Genesis chapter three tells us very clearly that, that humanity rebelled against God. And I used to always tell my students when I was a youth ministry, I would say, you know what? If Adam and Eve hadn't have messed up, I surely would have messed up. And it would have had Rick's name there instead. And so all of us are marred. So we were made by God And all of us have been marred. What does the potter do when things aren't going well with the way the clay is? There's a chance to start over. Because we're made, we're marred, and we're made again. We're made, we're marred, and we're made again. Just like the potter with the same material. But this is where Ephesians gets involved in this. Sorry, we're getting a little theological here. But in Ephesians, we see that there's this connection. See, the the potter uses the same clay over again. It's the same thing he started with. In Ephesians, we see something's changed, though. It's no longer just dirt and water. Divinity gets involved. What does Ephesians say? For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in... Christ Jesus created us anew in Christ Jesus. And there are good things he planned for us. Not spectacular things. He uses the word good. I think that's intentional. This isn't about exciting plans that God has laid out out for us. They are, but that's not what Paul's saying here. I would suggest he's talking about our labels again. That there are good things that I can do. Good things like husband. Good things that you can do, like husband or wife, mother or father, son or daughter, all labels. Labels like manager or teacher or engineer or pastor or student or business owner. That there are good things, and as we do these good things with our new life, not our dead zombie life, that these new things... We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So now let me bring this all together. So there is another letter that Paul wrote. Again, he began the letter with to the saints, and it's from 2 Corinthians. And he wrote this in chapter 4. It's up on the screen. Don't forget Jeremiah and the potter's wheel. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like, what is it? Fragile, Fragile clay jars. Containing, what is it containing? This great treasure. treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. What are we? We're clay jars. We were designed by God. We're created by God just like the potter. We're made and we're marred and we're made again. We're this mixture of humanity and divinity created in Christ Jesus. You see, the human part of us, the humanity is this fragile clay jar. I mentioned this verse one other time, and I, I said that the clay jars that Paul is talking about were the disposable kind, the kind that if, if he were in the 21st century writing this, he'd call it, and what do we decide, gladware, right? It's like gladware, all right? That, that, that's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just the stuff you just give away, right? That's the kind of clay jar he's talking about here. It's this simply made clay jar, but inside of it See, The dirt and the divinity. Inside of it is this power of Jesus that has transformed our lives and changed us into men and women who get to share the light of Jesus that's inside of us. Now, let me share with you that when I was, uh, when, I, when I went through my 18, 19, 20 year old ish days, Uh, I was was rebellious. I saw the church as irrelevant. And so I had gone to church my whole life. I found the church irrelevant and unimportant to my life. And so I decided to be irreverent, really, is, is really what it comes down to. If the church was irrelevant, I was going to be irreverent. And what I discovered after going off on this trajectory that led nowhere, this zombie-like existence, that I came back and realized that I was made by God and that I have been marred by the choices and the decisions and the places that I chose to go. But God, through Jesus, made me again. And there was a dramatic life change for me. I began to see things differently. I began to see that, that Jesus was very relevant to my life. And that there was a direction and a calling and a thing that I could do. But here's the reality, is that I'm a simple clay jar and I have cracks and mars and scars that still exist. And shining through those cracks and scars and mistakes and sins is the light of Jesus sneaks out. And so last night I was at the dinner with some friends, Kelly and I, my wife were out for dinner with some friends, and, and this is what this is what impressed me. I, I it was just this brief, fleeting moment. We were uh, uh, we had one of those uh, things, the coasters that light up. Right, because we were waiting, and so when we got there, they said it would be at a 35-minute wait. And 35-minute wait, okay, I I can I can do 35-minute wait. And so while we were waiting, we were having a good time chatting with our friends and just doing our thing. And then our our thing lit up, and I'm like, hey, it's time to go. And so we went in, and and when we we had been outside of the lobby area, and we went inside, there was this massive humanity, like really a lot of people were crowded in, and I overheard the hostess saying to the other customers who were just checking in, it's an hour and a half. There's no food in the world I'm waiting 90 minutes for, right? (laughs) There just isn't. You can't make something good enough. But here's what fascinated me. There were people lined up with their little lighty things waiting for food they could get anywhere. why can't we get people to line up for the church? I mean, you know, I had fish and chips. <laughs> you know, that that's it, it's, it's pretty basic, right? I mean, it, it's just bar food. People wait 90 minutes for mac and cheese and fish chips, right? And so I got these cracks and scars in me and I think, you know what? I want to do whatever I can to make the church relevant. I thought it was irrelevant. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this thing relevant. It's a simple message, a simple challenge for us this morning. We are called to live like your love. To live like your love. That means we know our labels. That means we know the identifiers. We know those that are used by us and used by others. That there are some that are good and some that are not good. There are some that are life-giving. And there are some that can drain life from us. And that we need to embrace those labels that bring us life. And embrace those things that identify us that are about good relationships and about good things that we see in others. But the primary labels for us, the primary identifiers are that we're loved by God and that we're a child of God, that we are saints who sin on occasion, that we are God's masterpiece, that we're made and we're marred and we're made again, that we are loved by God through Jesus Christ, a mixture of dirt and divinity shining out through us, that we have a clear understanding of who we are. And when we have that, when we can love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we can love others as we, in the same way that we love ourselves, then we see others as masterpieces as well. We see others as loved by God. We see our spouse as loved by God. We see our children as loved by God. We see each other as saints who sin on occasion, not sinners who are just barely getting it right. And so John, in his letter, has this to say, and I'm going to wrap up right here. It's up on the screen. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, here's what I want you to notice what he says next. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Our love always follows God's love. Our love is always following God's love. So here's how, if you want to remember it this way, remember it this way. Loved people love people. But God's love always comes first. Loved people love people. Verse 11, the last one. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, again, God's love always comes before our love. We surely ought to love each other. Love people love people. And then this one blew me away this week, verse 12. No one has ever seen God. Would you agree? Right? But, it's another connecting word. But, if we love each other, God lives in us. Cracked pots. Light shining out. God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. People who have not seen God will see God living inside you and I. That's a challenge for us, not just today. It's a challenge of a lifetime. For us to love God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength and to love God our neighbor, love people in the same way that we love ourselves. Will you stand with me? The band's going to come forward and we're going to sing. Uh, just, just a brief stanza, a couple, a couple lines from that last song that, uh, what is it? It's, it's who you say I am. So it's this idea of this label and identifier. And before we do that, let me pray for us and then we'll sing. God, I thank you for the men and women in this room. I thank you, God, for uh, the way that you have been working in and through our lives here in Mount Laurel. And I pray, God, that as we uh, begin to embrace this idea that we are loved by you, that, that there are labels all around us, God, that we're husbands, we're wives, we're, 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 we're sons and daughters, we're fathers and mothers, we're managers and engineers, and we have all these labels, God. But God, we confess that there are other labels that have been placed upon us too, that we're stupid or we're idiots. We're dumb. We're not faithful. God, I pray that we would embrace the life-giving labels and we throw aside and cast aside those labels that bring less than life. God, that we would embrace the ultimate label that we are a child of yours. God, that you you describe us as a masterpiece. That we're this mixture of dirt and divinity. God, that we we are clay pots shining out this incredible love of Christ in our lives. God, I believe that that's a challenge for us that can change the world. A world that desperately needs that kind of love. A world that's filled with hatred. A world that's filled with casting labels onto people that are negative and hurtful and harmful. That's filled with division and filled with anger and hatred. But God, if we can be people who love God, people who are loved by God, if we can be people who love others in the same way that God loves us, God, that is life-changing, that's world-changing. And God, I believe that there could be a line outside the door of people giving anything to get inside the building because they see how much we are loving each other. And God, that's our, I pray that that's our prayer this morning. God, that we would know that we're loved by you and that our challenge is to love each other with that same kind of love. And so we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.